You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Jesus was born in a stable, and I'm in a stable. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, back at you with another edition of Cornfield Theology. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a while, and yes, I am in a stable, quite literally, uh, where I live. Uh, we live by horses, therefore uh, you will hear some horse noises, some neighing, or neighing, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'll, I'll ask my wife, who's the horse lady, back, my back right shoulder, you'll see Annie there. She is wonderful. She's older, I think 24, um, and my back left is a... A wee little lad, Pete, he might uh, be kicking against the door every now and then. But hey, well, I'm out here because my kids are in there. And uh, between the office and the wall and the door and where they're at, it gets really noisy. So I figured you hearing horses is better than you hearing a bunch of going on with my kids as they play some games in the living room. So, And we're not in, in person we're because not. the weather terrorists were right. They were like, the you see, snow has come. See, you're catching on to my lingo. Weather terrorists, weather terrorism, and I'm okay mm-hmm. with all of that. I mean, because it's 50-50 when the ter- weather terrorists, you know, hit the news and they're, you know, writing up, yeah, this is Blizzard Amy or Blizzard John or Blizzard Dave, and it's coming your way. And then half the time it's like flurries. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember one time when we were meeting outdoors in the pavilions in the park. And it was like predicted that we would have like a torrential downpour essentially. And it was, it was partly cloudy all day. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's during the uh, shutdowns and we were meeting in every park within the uh, city of Waukee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, my name is Pastor Sean yeah. and I'm pastor of Redemption Hill Church. That other voice that you hear or the face that you see on YouTube is the one and only, the gorgeous, the the handsome, the, I don't know what else, is, how to describe you, uh, Logan Kane, Logan Kane. Thanks for joining today. Yep. Thank you. And uh, how much do I owe you for the bribe again? Oh, that one's free. For the compliments. Er- everything else is, uh, yeah, I'm going to charge oh, Okay. Ooh. So we are back at it. It's been a while, man. And uh, the reason yep. why it's been a while is that I took up a part-time job teaching theology and church history to 7th and 8th graders at a local Christian Academy. Love it. Absolutely love it. Local classical Christian Academy. And uh, that takes up time, man. That takes a little extra time. Oh yeah. But, but this is how, this is how yeah, I was a, I was a T. Go ahead. I was going to say I was a TA. So I've, I've graded papers. Even that takes a lot of time. Oh, oh yeah. I'm in the midst of like end of semester, midterm or final mm. exams, grading them up. Yeah, man. Um, but you went on vacation, you had a revelation, the Lord met you, and you came back from Hawaii. How, how do you pronounce it? Hawaii. Um, and you're like, hey, dude, uh, we, had, we had to get back on the podcasting. So explain oh, why. Shoot. No, my brother-in-law taught me this. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. So I went to, I think it's ha- ha- Hawaii. There's actually like a V in the like correct mm. pronunci- pronunciation. Very strange. Uh, but I went to Hawaii to visit my brother-in-law, who is yeah. studying there. Um, and he mentioned while I was there, Hey, what happened to the podcast? What's you guys were doing podcasting. What yeah. happened to that? So I came back. I was like, Hey, Sean, what happened to our podcast? And I so said, Hey, I completely dropped it. Get it picked up again. Cause I love doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a discussion, yep, nearly and, dropped it. Yeah, nearly. And we had a discussion. We're like, you know what? We realize that not only first and foremost is this like an extended ministry of Redemptional Church located in Des Moines Metro, but other people do listen in, like your brother in Hawaii, uh, your brother-in-law, right? And then, um, yep, people from all around the world. I mean, I get I see the stats of this occasionally. I'll, I'll pop up the, you know, the 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 site that aggregates all of our podcast stats, and I'm like, oh wow, person from Russia, that's interesting. <laughs> China, how'd you get there? Why are you listening to my <laughs> podcast? Did I say something anti-communism today? Guess so. So anyways, uh, but in all, in all seriousness, we really love doing this. And uh, we've, we were making a plan to be more consistent with this, along with the blogs. Mm. Speaking of the blogs, I uh, caused a little stir recently with my latest blog. Did you read it? 
Uh, yes. <laughs> Such a liar. <laughs> or you could have listened to it because we do the audio version. Well, here's the deal. Uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a brief blog. I don't know if it was at his website or the Gospel Coalition, basically mm. pleading with pastors to um, gather on Sunday because this Sunday is mm-hmm. Christmas. Christmas Sunday. I don't know landing. if I spiked there, but yeah, I des- right. Christmas deserves a spike. Yeah. Christmas love Sunday. Christmas. And uh, I love Christmas too. I love this time of year. And uh, once every seven years ish or something, uh, Christmas lands mm-hmm. on a Sunday. And so this mm-hmm. is where all the pastors at all the churches are like, what do we do? Do we close down? Do we just have Christmas Eve service? And I'm like, I have a, I have a way forward to think about this, depending on what denomination you're a part of. Because if you're a Presbyterian, you're, thinking about this this is the lord's day i'm gonna do I'm gonna, what am i gonna do on the lord's day the thing i did last week on the lord's day right and those who grow up in kind mm. of baptistic circles don't have that same ecclesiology so i try to help people think through that and then my plea was for members regardless of whether you're in town whether you're you know staying home uh, get to church it's christmas sunday mm. what better day to go to church than worship the savior which is going to be the topic today who became flesh uh, what better day to celebrate that than on Christmas Sunday? So, anyways, you can you can read that and you can send me some hate mail if you want. I mean, I mean, hopefully it's not a controversial take. Like, I oh, I get oh, that yeah, we want to like gather with family, but what better day to worship the Lord than on the day that Christ incarnated? Yeah, the day we celebrate I mean, that. Yeah, 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 we celebrate. Yeah, yeah, totally. I know. Oh, what he wasn't actually born on December. Yeah. So, uh, one Just more. Joking. One more uh, FYI before we get into today's topic, Logan. I did a podcast, an extended one, with a friend of ours, Jacob Young, who is a pastor in Manchester, New Hampshire. He's a part of Trinity Fellowship Churches, which is our denomination. And those will be coming out after Christmas. I haven't edited edited them yet. Uh, The title is 2022 Hot Takes. And so we walk through several controversial issues where we try to get in trouble. And and Jacob and I, we we are friends. We are co-laborers in the gospel. We always don't agree. We, we find application differently sometimes. And that was really healthy for us to talk through on some of these issues. So I'm looking forward to dropping those um, after this one, which is on what topic today? Well, the topic, which has already been mentioned in alignment with Christmas, is the incarnation. When we're talking about the incarnation, the importance of the incarnation. Yeah. Yeah, and you you uh, went ahead and did some notes on this just to kind of organize our thoughts, and you you, you picked a good way to go through this. And um, we are a confessional church. Uh, we take our confession from the 1689 London Baptist uh, Confession of Faith, and we've made it our own called the Trinity Confession of Faith in, in the sense we modernized it and added a few more uh, chapters. But you you went there and you decided let's take that this portion of our confession and then ask some questions directly from our confession, right? Right. And so yeah. go ahead, man. I was going to say, like, I mean, first I wanted to start off with, like, what is the incarnation? Because that might be, you know, a word that isn't used very much in, mm. in someone's church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I went to our confession of faith. And I think it provided a, a super clear uh, definition. And then from there, I just want to go through it point by point and ask, like, because our confession is very particular. Yeah. Like you guys worked on it and you're not just throwing in phrases or sentences willy nilly. Each part of this definition is there for a specific reason. It has its own importance. So I wanted to kind of work through why each point of the incarnation is important. And this is just a plug. Um, We are, like I said, a confessional church and that is very different from, you know, ABC church down the street that you know slapped on 12 points of their statement of faith that they copied from church you know xyz down the street right uh you know very vanilla vanilla and we we have a different approach we we don't hide the ball as i like to say we tell you exactly what we believe and why we believe and we're up front and as a matter of fact this confession of faith holds me accountable so that i'm not a heretic (laughs) <laughs> and I've heard a lot of crazy things from pulpits that are non-denominational or Baptist, uh, those in particular, uh, those are circles, at least I've run in, I'm sure there's others, where it's like they're not bound to any robust confession, mm-hmm. but they're free to like change their mind the next Sunday. You know, So even as we talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I went one time I was at a church and I was just visiting for a Sunday, it was right before right. we planted, 
And I've told this story before and I'm sitting there, you know, it's Advent season, right before Advent. And uh, the uh, pastor said that Jesus put on a spacesuit. He was trying to describe the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, mm-hmm. and that was the metaphor that he used. And I'm in, the, I'm in there seating, you know, sitting, there's a prominent church in this particular town. And I'm like, you, that is heresy, Patrick. That is bad theology. <laughs> and I'm not surprised that church does not have a confession of faith. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the particular name of that heresy? I don't. I so I'm asking a legitimate oh, question. Oh, uh, like space suit. Oh, as you're saying, like space suit Christology, doceticism, I believe. Doceticism, where yeah. Christ has a human body, but not a human soul. It's just a divine soul that's inhabiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and we'll so. talk about um, the hypostatic union at the end of this, which helps blunt mm-hmm. against heresies, whether it's doceticism, Arianism. Etikiatism. Uh, there's Is it Nestorianism. Various... Nestorianism. Yep, that as well. I mean, all yeah. this gets into how do we understand the person of Christ? How do we understand his two natures? A little bit of a preview here is the humanity and divinity of Jesus Christ, like black and white marbles that you put into a jar, and all of a sudden mm. they're mixed together, or is the humanity and divinity of divinity of Christ like putting black marbles on one side of the jar of this clear jar and white marbles on the other side of this clear jar, or is the humanity and divinity of Jesus Christ kind of like mixing white paint with black paint to make a one gray paint, right? Mm -hmm. All of that's heresy, by the way, don't, don't, don't use those metaphors. (laughs) Um, However, as examples of heresy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, We want to, we want to tell you what's true here in a moment. But this all gets down to how do we understand the incarnation of Jesus Christ, how we understand the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyways, all that said, could you read the section from our statement, excuse me, statement of faith, there I go again, our confession of faith that we're going to begin to parse out here for our listeners? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll try not to screw up along the way, stumble over my own words. All right. So, from our confession, the Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, is the true and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made. And this is where the incarnation comes in. When the fullness of time has come, he took upon himself man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it, yet without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary when the Holy Spirit came down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. So he was born of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the scriptures. Two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the one mediator between God and man. That's good. And uh, I think it's worth mentioning that our confession of faith is not saying anything new, especially Mm -hmm. as we talk about this Christology here. We're talking about the 381, well, 325 and 381, first the Nicene Creed and then the Nicene Constantinopolian Creed, right? And -hmm. then later... In the fifth century, we have the um, uh, the Chalcedonian Declaration, which further clarified how we understand the person and natures of Christ. Our confession of faith is picking up on these historic creeds. I think it's right, and, and so is the Westminster Confession of Faith as well. But it's worth, worth yeah. saying that for our Presbyterian <laughs> brothers. I mean, let's let's be honest. There's like a meme that's out there. I'm the meme guy since yeah. you're uh, of the you older. Need, if I need a good meme, I just like Logan. Send me a good meme. <laughs> or Brooks, let's be honest. Yeah, that's right. Good friend Brooks. Well, there's like a meme of a person sitting behind another person in like a classroom, copying from the first person, and then a third person behind them copying that person. Right. And it's basically Westminster, 1689 London Baptist, and then us. And then us, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're part of, we're following that historic historic hey, tradition. And I'm unapologetic about about that. I think it's I think yeah, it's great well, to be part of history. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and frankly, you know, the Westminster Divines, they're they're reading their Nicene Creed. They're reading the Constantinopolian Creed, the Nicene right. Constantinopolian Creed. They're reading the Chalcedonian definition, right? 
they got that in front of them as they're like, how do we, guys, how do we want to craft this section on the of our confession of faith about the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Oh, they already mentioned it. Okay, let's mm-hmm. just copy. Let's just copy and paste that. <laughs> Call it good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's good. Why fix what isn't broke? Let's just yeah, bring it over. Or how do we not be a heretic? Let's just read that. <laughs> right. So what we have in this, and we'll talk more about it here in a second. But I've been using the word fully. Uh, uh, that that's mm. not that's not necessarily uh, a bad way to say it. But truly is the the more consistent way. Truly God, truly man. So I think it's that's the RC of- sprawl way of saying it. Yeah, and that's the, I think I think a great way to say it. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's I think that's good. Now this is why we are celebrating Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know? that incarnation. Yep. And I like to make this point to folks as well. And I think I've said this in every sermon so far in our Advent sermon series. There is no crucifixion and resurrection without the incarnation. One thing I try to do over and over again, mm-hmm. especially during the Advent season, is to connect the theological points for people, help them sure. to see how this is all connected together. Right. You know, and and since the Reformation in particular, Protestantism rightly, you know, puts a spotlight on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, we do every Sunday because we celebrate the Lord's table every Sunday at Redemption Hill Church. But it seems like the incarnation has been relegated to the B team, and uh, you get to come off the bench during Christmas, right? And I'm arguing that, no, we must continue to to preach the entire council of Scripture, incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. It's, it's no wonder that Athanasius, an early church father, he wrote a book called On the Incarnation, and he mm. begins his book talking about creation. Think about that. He's writing a book about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And where does he start? Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. So it's that's important. Logan, you got thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's always important with you know, when reading our Bibles of, of understanding that it is part of that one big story. It's a part of that one big meta narrative. Um, and we'll get into this a bit as well. Like you'll see that with specifically the incarnation of like past prophecies in the old Testament that were done mm-hmm. hundreds of years before pointing to this one event that happened 2000 years ago. Um, you'll see how it's, it's just all connected. So uh, that's part of the importance of, of the crucifixion. On Sunday, this last Sunday, you, you prayed in a very mm-hmm. particular way using very specific words that this is the most important event in human history. Do you want to explain yeah. why you said said it that way? The reason I said it, it was the most important point in human history is because like creation is fantastic. Um, and the creation narrative in Genesis is fantastic. But we know because of sin, creation has been marred. Mm-hmm. And the birth of Christ is where we see, I mean, God's redemptive plan ha- was started from the beginning because in Genesis mm-hmm. 3, he promised the the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. All of the old Testament is leading up to that point where the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And that happened at the cross. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the cross does not happen without the incarnation happening. So, I mean, I could go back and forth on if the cross is the most important, you know, in in human history or, or the birth of Christ himself, but at, at the incarnation, we see God himself take on flesh and, and enter into our world so that he could live that perfect life for us and that he could die for us and wash away our sins. You know, every Christmas, my wife posts a specific picture um, on Facebook. And uh, some some Protestants don't like it, and they just, I don't know why, whatever. But here here's the picture. It's a picture of... Eve, and you know it's Eve because she's holding the apple, right? She, um, a fruit, right? Technically, and around her left leg is the serpent, and her as her right hand is gripping the apple. And this is a reference to Genesis three fifteen, which you mentioned. And her right hand is the is the fruit. Keep calling it an apple. It's a fruit. Our art has depicted as an apple, and her left hand is holding, and, and in front of her is Mary, 
and she's holding Mary's left hand while also putting her right, uh, her left hand on her stomach where mm -hmm. Jesus is, right? And Mary is graciously, it seems like consoling Eve. It's a beautiful picture of art. Again, some Protestants take issue with that. I, I, I'm a big art fan. And then isn't, isn't the serpent then under Mary's foot? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's under Mary's foot, kind of wrapped around upper, upper calf or whatever. And so it's this picture that Christ has come to defeat Satan, to put away the power of sin, and one day put away all sin, second advent. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we can't forget God's redemptive covenant that he made before the creation of the world, the triune God, and how that is currently being worked out right now. It has been worked out and it continues to be worked out until the second coming of Jesus Christ. But we don't have a second coming, like I said, without a first coming, which is really the focus for, for today. Um, I got a rock in my shoe on this topic of the incarnation of Jesus Christ recently. Do you remember why, Logan? I got really upset. And uh, it was almost as if someone said something and I uh, was like, what are you doing? It was Andy, Andy Stanley, if you don't remember. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made a claim that the virgin birth doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just astounding. The uh, a, a particular YouTube channel picked this up and made a two minute video, tutorial video why why this is wrong. I'll give you a, <laughs> I'll give you less than two minutes. He, the claim Andy Stanley made is that if a man could could rise from the dead, it doesn't matter how that person came into this world. Right now. If Athanasius hears this man, he is ruling him, Athanasius, and almost all the church fathers. If they hear this man, Andy Stanley, they're rolling over in their grave. And that I, I guarantee you, I mean, I'm making a guarantee that I actually can't guarantee, but for this <laughs> hyperbole, I guarantee he would be kicked out of the church and considered a heretic. And, it, it's um, his, you know, it's the part a, of church history might be more than kicked out of the church. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, what are you saying? So it does matter a lot for reasons we've already mentioned. So with that said, let's let's really parse out um, this aspect of our confession of faith and go through those particular questions that you highlighted. So go ahead with the first question, Logan, and then let's 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 put some text around this so we understand what's going on. Um, so first, my first question is why is it important that the incarnation is of the Son of God? Because the first part of our confession really highlights that the Son of God is God, the eternal God, and the brightness of, of the Father. Why is it important that it is it is the Son of God, that yeah. it's being incarnated? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we've got to think triune here first. We've got to step back and realize mm. Father, Son, Spirit, maybe the Godhead. I prefer to answer this question by first stepping back and saying, the Son is the Logos, the Word. The mm -hmm. Word become flesh. I think that's helpful language. In this particular question, going back to John 1.14, for example, and I quote, the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among, dwelt us. among us. Yep. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son. So so John is doing, he's connecting this word, you know, John 1.1, 1, 1, mm -hmm. he talks about the word. He's connecting the word with the son and uh, the glory of the son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so we have to make that connection as we think about why it's important that the word became flesh and the son dwelt among us. We can go to Galatians four verses four and five, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law. We need a savior. I mean, that's Matthew one twenty one, mm. right? Basically Mary's Mary was to have a son, name him Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. You know, Jesus right. means uh, uh, savior. And so you, you begin to see that like, whoa, Genesis 3.15, right? Mm. Who is this one, you know, that's going to come from the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent? And we see in the Gospels, right. this is indeed the son of God. And only the son could do what we could not do for ourselves. So incarnation so, was plan A all along, no plan B. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It was it was the plan from the beginning. A little curveball I want to throw at you though on like why it has to be the son of God. Why, uh, could an angel have been incarnate and done this for us? No, because we know why? from Scripture that angels are not sufficient. Angels are not mm-hmm. not image bearers the way that man is described in Genesis 1, 26, 27, right? And mm-hmm. so an angel was not sufficient uh, in order to do the task. Only, only one in which the image of man and God was upon could be incarnate and ultimately redeem his people from the power of sin and to forgive them of sins and, et- and give them eternal life. Angels are not sufficient for the task. Angels in God's economy uh, serve another purpose, a lot of mm-hmm. lot of other great purposes. I mean, we've been going through uh, Luke one and two, and then Matthew two last week, and angels pop up. We got Angel Gabriel, we got angels speaking to Joseph, we got all kinds of angels. You know, we got the seraphim and and uh, Isaiah six. A lot of things going on here, but yep. angels don't serve the same purpose. Um, the the second person, the Trinity, needed to become flesh and dwell among us mm-hmm. in order to save. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to sort of add to that. And maybe, you know, you might share these same thoughts of like, who's, whose debt is it? Like our, we, our sin creates a debt yeah. towards God. So therefore only God has the right to forgive the debt or to redeem the debt. Right. Uh, I, I, it wouldn't, in my mind, be possible to send an angel who is a, just a messenger you know, a worker of the Lord to to do the work to forgive the debt that is ultimately to God Himself. Yeah. So yeah. God Himself is the one coming to solve the debt issue. Honestly, it's a better answer than I gave, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it really is because you really get to the cross, right? Right. We're talking mm-hmm. about atonement. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about um, rescue that is found in mm-hmm. the work and person of Jesus Christ. So, I think that's fantastic. Let's get hit up the next question here. Yeah. So the next question coming from our confession is why is it important that he took on a man's nature? So in the early church, there was this, it seemed like this phrase that was kind of passed along, which isn't shocking in the early church when you don't have a lot of people who are literate. And so people memorize things and, you know, it was passed Mm -hmm. along from, you know, person to person from one generation to the next. Some people say this went back to Irenaeus. Some others say Gregory of Nazianzus, who knows? But it goes something like this, what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed. What has not been taken on, not like a spacesuit way, but the word becoming flesh way, cannot mm-hmm. be redeemed. And so the the implication here is that the word had to become flesh and take on all the infirmities of man except for sin in order to redeem man from their sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's really important. And so... Um, the, the, and what's interesting about this idea, Logan, this idea, but this truth, is that a deity that took on flesh in the early church, in, in the first century, frankly, and before that, would have been anathema in much of Greek culture. And uh, the flesh was considered bad, and uh, the divine and uh, the spiritual was good. So for the word, and that's a word that Obviously, scripture uses, but Justin Martyr picks up in one of his apology letters uh, to take on flesh would have been like jarring. Like, well, gods don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Because this flesh is decaying, it's dying, it's not good. And what's ironic, and this is just a side note, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. our 21st century culture flips it on its head, right? The material is the deity, honestly. Sure. The material is the thing that is upheld and the spiritual is put down and seen as you know, silly, silly little spiritual Christian. Right. Uh, It's it's totally flipped. So uh, it is important that uh, the word become flesh and man's nature be assumed because Mm -hmm. that is what needs to be redeemed. Right. And when you're talking about that sort of like, oh, the spirit is, you know, uh, not the spirit, the flesh is like corrupt. And uh, we we actually want to almost transcend uh, the our physical natures that's really coming from like Gnosticism, which was right. popular in Jesus day. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Gnosticism yeah. all about that. Yeah. Totally. Yep. And, and some of this um, has its roots in Platonic thought, Plato. And that's why in, in first Corinthians 15, when you get to the, the great resurrection chapter, 
Uh, Paul talks mm-hmm. about the importance of 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 the material and for that to be redeemed. And for one day, we're going to have a new body, right? A a a body that is doesn't have bad back problems like I have right now. Because uh, Paul is doing he he's he's making statements in the in the face of Plato and Platonism, saying no, mm-hmm. God created this material. It, it 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 was created good, as a matter of fact. And that mm-hmm. and that and everything we see in Genesis one and two, that's what we're getting back to. Christ came not only to redeem spiritually but physically as well. And so it right. is it, it is not jarring that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, because Jesus is redeeming all things that are material mm-hmm. and of course fleshly. Right. Um, and to the phrase, uh, what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed. Yeah. Um, for like a sort of uh, scripture that I wanted to bring up with this, which I think like more hints at it and kind of implies it uh, comes from Hebrews 10 uh, verses three to four, uh, where I'm going to say Paul, cause I think Paul wrote it. I, it's an old school thought, <laughs> yeah. but, but in these sacrifices, speaking of the yearly sacrifices and the daily sacrifices that the Jews had to do. Um, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year for it is impossible for the blood of go- bulls and goats to take away sin. I think in that you see that that whole idea of what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed because bulls and goats are not men and they're not made in the image of God. And so they were serving as reminders to the people of their sin. And the other thing in the book that you're pointing to and the book of Hebrews continues to build out is that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The you know, prior, mm. you know, prior to that, you get the blood and goats thing, right? I'm going through the Pentateuch right, right. now, and you read about all the sacrifices, right? And doves and bulls and goats, whatever else have you. And Jesus, who took on flesh, is that ultimate sacrifice. Right. That continues to a point, uh, and kind of build out the importance of Christ taking a, a bull. In other words, a goat or a bull could not, that sacrifice could not accomplish what God is doing to ultimately, in a sense, reverse the curse or whatever you want to say it, you know, to, <laughs> to, to uh, forgive sins and to release his people from the power of sin and to offer eternal life. It had right. to be. They were types and. Sh- yeah, go ahead. I was going to, sorry to interrupt. I was like, they're types and shadows mm-hmm. of the perfect sacrifice that was right. to come. Right, right, exactly. No, that's good. So that was the answer to the question of why was it important to take for for Jesus to take on man's nature. What's the next question? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, before we move on, you forgot something very important. What's that? The word became flesh, mm-hmm. but he did not take on sin. He didn't take on sin, of course. So that's yep. Not, yep. Uh, because I just see here, it looks like uh, I think this is your note, Romans eight three. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh mm. so he did not actually assume sin itself yeah some people look at that passage like so see we don't need the law and i'm like no that's not what that says there actually he's saying the <laughs> law has a purpose and the law could right some people thought the law could could save, right? If you just obeyed and did all the things the right way and you, you know, stand up, sit down, fight, 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 you know, just follow, you know, follow the code of conduct. And that's not the purpose of law, right? And so uh, law couldn't do that. And so it took us, took the son, right? To take on the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, as it says in Romans 8.3. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, next question. And this is really getting to the heart of that Andy Stanley section. Why is it important that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that Mary was a virgin? Yeah, we went over this a couple of days ago at Redemption Hill, and um, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit overwhelmed Mary. Uh, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit um, is the one who is. We call it the the and the Catholics say the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Uh, Protestants don't like to use the word immaculate, but they say the conception of Mary. Uh, we can go to Matthew 1. Uh, we can go to the, it says this the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God mm-hmm. with us. It, it was necessary because we needed a savior to be fully God 
and fully man. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's go back to actually, let's say it a little more decently and in, in line with our confession and with historic creeds, truly God and truly man. I think, I think, I think the word truly is probably better because the idea of full is it gives a picture of capacity, right? Sure. And, and truly doesn't get at that. And when we say fully, if you say that you're, you're not a heretic, I, because we're not using it in the sense of capacity. Like, you right. know, I got I got my mug here, and you know, this is all of Jesus's you know divinity over here. And if I had a second mug, you know, it, was, it was completely filled up Careful. over here. You know, <laughs> yeah. So we're not thinking of capacity. So maybe truly is the better way to say it, or the or the safer way to say it, just to avoid mm-hmm. any misunderstandings. So that's why yeah. he. That's uh, why it was important. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And why Mary had to be a virgin. Mary had to be yeah. a virgin to leave no question. If Mary already had a kid, right, and she was conceived by the Holy Spirit, everyone's gonna look around and be like, "Yeah, right, sure, right, sure." Hey, listen, we know how this works. We know biology. <laughs> we know basic biology. I, Joseph, I you see only you. wanted one. Joseph, get accents. over here. You already had one kid. We know what happens when you get number two. It's an oopsie. It was the you... Super Bowl night. You got excited. <laughs> yeah, it's like. You know, so I think the idea that she was a virgin really is just like re-emphasizing the point. This isn't right. supposed to happen, and it yeah. did. Right, and it's really really uh, important. Just just so you know the Super Bowl reference. There was a study that found most most people are conceived on that night. What in the U.S.? Yeah, really? Yeah, it could be an old study, but yeah. Um. <laughs> no, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here. I mean, you know, sidebar. Why? I mean, is it the winning team? I guess, yeah. The winning team and everyone from, you know, who was the last Super Bowl winner? I can't remember. Anyways, you know, let's say it was like, let's say two years ago was Tampa Bay. Like everyone in Tampa Bay is like making babies all of a sudden because Tampa Bay won. I mean, I guess there's a lot of drinking involved on the Super Bowl. LA was last year, right? LA, I think the LA Rams won last year. And so (laughs) everyone in LA is like, hey, pardon let's make babies mm-hmm. <laughs> weird uh, all right back on topic but all i right. had to explain that just so our listeners aren't confused uh <laughs> i was confused i just let it go i'm like i don't know what that means go ahead okay. um another th- reason i think that the virgin virgin birth is uh is important is it has to do with fulfilled prophecy yeah it's good lots of lots of prophecy fulfilled and specifically about a virgin birth. Yeah. Because, you know, you look in the book of Isaiah, if you haven't read the book of Isaiah, I think it's very doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. And there's these small sections of hope that the Lord gives that there will be a savior. And the Lord asks Isaiah, like, ask of me of a sign of this coming savior. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, no, I cannot ask that of you. And then God gets kind of angry at him because uh, he's t- testing the Lord. And so the Lord says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Mm-hmm. That is why the virgin birth is important, is it's the actual fulfilled prophecy of the coming Messiah laid out by Isaiah, mm-hmm. what, 400 years ago, if not more? Yeah, prior In that to, ballpark, yeah. at least? Yeah. Isaiah, and then you got more than 400, but yeah. Yeah. And then you got Micah 5, 2, saying, you know, born in Bethlehem, like the entire birth and conception of Jesus is a prophesied sign of the coming Messiah who's going to take away the sins of the world. Yeah, I mean, you're right about Isaiah, man. What a uh, Christological book. Some people call it the fifth gospel. You, you, you rightly mm-hmm. went to Isaiah 7. You could have gone to Isaiah 9. Um, we could go to Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53, and it's just packed with Christ. And so uh, that's, and then, you know, rightly, Micah 5 too, um, born in Bethlehem. Uh, from Bethlehem will come some, come on, come someone from the line of David, right? It, what we see, amazingly, and and this is fresh in my mind because it was kind of how I navigated uh, parts of Matthew two last Sunday, is that out of Egypt we have a son. But before Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Egypt, he was in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy of Micah two, mm-hmm. and then we go. Um, and then they go to Egypt, right? Because Herod wanted to kill them. And this idea of out of Egypt from Hosea 11, 1, right, is mm-hmm. reflecting back on the Exodus account. 
Oh yeah. You see in, in the book of Exodus, when you get to Exodus two and on. Yep. And so yeah, you see the, we see an ultimate savior, you know, uh, God, mm. God delivered. <laughs> now he is sending the deliverer mm-hmm. uh, word became flesh and told among us. Uh, and that's, that's the greater Exodus. Go ahead. I was just going to say like from that, you can really tell that Matthew's audience is the Jewish people. Certainly. Cause he's like, this is what you've been reading for hundreds of years that the Lord has spoken. And here's the fulfillment. It's amazing. Uh, when you, when you kind of go through, if you go slowly in Matthew one and two, you'll see over and over again, how much Matthew's thoughts are soaked in old Testament scripture. It's, it's quite remarkable, like how much he is aware of, of the old Testament pointing to Christ and the fulfillment mm. that is found in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on, on the, um, on Mary being a virgin and the, you know, conception by the Holy spirit is I have heard it before this idea that, so we have original sin mm-hmm. that every single person is conceived in sin. Uh, as David points out, you know, you're born with that innate sin nature, but because of the Holy spirit overshadowing Mary and Mary being a virgin, that that line of original sin is broken with Jesus. That is how he can be a sinless man. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts that that's Catholic. <laughs> that's my thoughts. To that's with. too Catholic. Yeah. Although you it, mentioned the immaculate conception of Mary, which I'm pretty sure is actually that she was conceived sinlessly. Yeah. Not Jesus. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's and part of it though. Part of what we need to acknowledge here with your question mm-hmm. Is that the only way you can get to the get to the conclusions that you want to is to say uh, is to talk about the immaculate conception of Mary to say that Mary is sinless as well, and then in, okay. order, to, in order to get to where you want to go, um, you have to also say that um, you know the prodigy of, of of you know through the prodigy of, of males is where sin is, and then you get to the first Adam, second Adam, that whole thing, and it's mm-hmm. very very. Uh, squishy argument, squishy case. Uh, my, I mm-hmm. would rather say uh, we just need to be careful not to read into a situation where Scripture is silent. But I think we can say that the divinity of Christ uh, is what absolves the humanity of Christ from sin, right? He is mm-hmm. God. God is sinless. That's where right. I would rather go to make an argument rather than this whole, like, well, what's, his D- what's, what's the DNA, Right. <laughs> right yeah what? um and i also think it's important um to note and i think i mentioned this to you before because we're talking about christ being truly man mm-hmm. you can be truly man without having sin because mm-hmm. sin was not a part of the original design of what it means to be truly man right. so just because christ did not like have the sin nature does not mean that he wasn't truly man mm-hmm. no that's good you know what I heard, I saw recently, and this kind of gets into the whole, like, is Jesus a man? Uh-huh. That people have looked at these passages from Matthew and Luke and have said, and I kid you not, that G, uh, a individual from Oxford who's doing a PhD gave mm-hmm. a chapel lecture and said that mm-hmm. Jesus is transgender. That was the argument. Now I'm not trying to I'm not trying to poke a beehive full of bees, but I've just poked the beehive full of bees because I'll the, poke the beehive full of bees. That's yeah. just mm. just poke it and run. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm poking it and I'm not running from it. Uh, that's ridiculous. That's heresy. Knock it off. Um, Jesus is a son. Sons are men. Boys, right. Men. Uh, they yeah. all have the XY chromosome, right? XY, that XX, women are XX, XY. Uh, so knock it off with all this Jesus transgender yeah. swear word. Yeah, like I think the idea is like, oh, because he doesn't have a true father, he's missing right. that Y chromosome, but he's presenting as, I was like, if you're going to grant that it's a virgin birth, you don't think God can work a little bit more miracles and make sure he has all the proper chromosomes? Because otherwise he just has half of them. Like, it's a, just a ridiculous idea. Uh, and apparently, you can get a PhD with anything these days. Oh, one time a professor was encouraged me to get a PhD, and um, I don't think you know. I said something to the effect of like, 
you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm smart enough or I don't think I just have it in, you know, intellectually upstairs. And he's like, well, anyone could get a PhD. <laughs> now he meant it in an encouraging way. <laughs> but I was like, wait a second. And not to say that PhDs aren't a lot of work. They are. But I mean, I know one guy got a PhD because he argued that um, the reason people believe that Christ rose from the dead is because Jesus actually had a twin brother. Uh, so, still yeah. Twin. Yep. Good old right. twin theory. What's our next, next question? <laughs> why uh, is it important or why does it matter that he is part of the tribe of Judah slash the seed of Abraham and a descendant of David? You know, there, there are lots of responses to this. Yeah, because I think that's like in other places, like that's not highlighted, but it is highlighted in our in our confession. It is in our confession, but in in Holy Scripture as well. Um, here's what I'll say: If you're going to make robust claims, namely the claim being that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and Jesus is the Son of God, you're going to make that kind of claim. You better have some facts. So some, some substantive mm-hmm. facts to back up the claim. And the Messiah needed to come through, uh, needed to be from the tribe of Judah, the seed of Abraham, and descended through the line of David. Right. Because those facts help prove the point. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how do we know some, some random Joe, you know, was born of uh, the non-virgin um, Sally, right? And he claims to be the son of God, right? What are your What are your facts to help us? It's like it's like it's like God leaves bread breadcrumb trail mm-hmm. in which we are to follow, so that we can see that this this person, Jesus Christ, is the Son mm-hmm. of God. Right. The breadcrumb trail authenticates authenticates this the claims being made. Right. Because uh, if you had like Emmanuel born of the tribe of Benjamin, you'd automatically boom, not the Messiah. Uh, and that's specifically, again, because of prophecy. Because uh, we see, you know, there's a prophecy. I think this is Samuel, First Samuel. Could be wrong. You can search it up. I forgot to note the, <laughs> note the Bible verse. I'm a bad student. Uh, but it says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up uh, for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and I shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he'll be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Mm. Yeah, That is a messianic prophecy, specifically tying the Messiah to David of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, so that passage right there is not a breadcrumb. That's an entire loaf. <laughs> it's like God put the <laughs> loaf down on the trail and be like, don't miss this one, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's also important. It's like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's through them uh, because of what I've mentioned before, that promised seed that is traced through the entire book. Uh, and the idea is like, it's the God of Abraham. It's the God of Isaac. It's the God of Jacob. Jacob yeah. You know, through the uh, was it kingly line of David. Mm-hmm. That's why that portion is is significant. Yeah, exactly. And then um, last question, man. Yep. Got, last question. One more for, for, for today, folks. <laughs> last and certainly not least, why is the hypostatic union important? We mentioned this multiple times, but specifically, why is it important that he is truly human and truly God? Because that is how you take on um, the punishment of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, hypostatic comes from the kind of this Greek word hypostasis. Stasis. Um, we see this particular Greek word. I think it shows up four times in the New Testament. One of the most, you know, probably well-known passages is going to be from Hebrews one three. This idea of radiance of the glory of God, right? Mm-hmm. That particular mm-hmm. passage. It, ultimately, there was some. There was there was discussion in the early church of how to describe the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have Greek speaking folks. We got some Latin speak. So Greek in the East, Latin in the West, West Rome, I think Rome. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, the Greeks want to say it one way. The Rome, uh, the Latin speaking folks want to say it another way. 
And ultimately, um, hypostatic came to mean kind of reference person, right? Denote person. So long story short, the hypostatic union helps us to describe the two natures and mm-hmm. one person of Jesus, the two natures being truly God, truly man, and the one person of Jesus, uh, the union of Christ's humanity and divinity in one uh, hypostasis. So the place you would go to to kind of pick this up uh, is, the, is the Athanasian Creed, not written probably by Athanasius, but I'm not sure quite why, but the title is the Athanasian Creed. And it recognized this doctrine and affirmed uh, the importance of this doctrine. And I'm just going to read it here from the Athanasian Creed, just kind of like uh, you, Logan, read from our Confession of Faith, and it states this. He, Jesus Christ, is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before all time. And that word begotten, we can't lose that. I think in modern-day translations, we've we've um, jettisoned the word begotten. Pastors have jettisoned mm-hmm. the word begotten. We need to reclaim the word begotten. That's another tangent, but we'll save it for another day, begotten before time. And he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human. Again, completely is kind of like fully, kind of has this mm-hmm. idea of like completeness. That's not right. what they're trying to say. Truly, let's, let's just go with truly God and truly human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father uh, as regards to humanity. So you see, you know, Father, Son, spirit and um uh the, the distinctions that that exist right jesus took on flesh um the son took on flesh the father did not take on flesh but uh mm-hmm. still equal with the father uh so less than, than the father in regards to humanity although he is god and human yet christ is not two but one so you can't divide jesus into mm-hmm. two and say you know over here are my black marbles over here are my white marbles that's 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 heresy we don't do that uh, but God taken on humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not of the blending of the essence, right? Or the natures. So you don't have the white paint and the black paint that make the gray paint. That's not what's going mm-hmm. on here. Uh, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is born rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. The Athanasian Creed. Mm-hmm. stuff right there anything you want to add to that wonderful yeah i think the reason that we the hypostatic union is important we don't do all those different either mixings or you know divisions is essentially like if christ is not truly human he cannot and truly man he cannot be our representative mm-hmm. you know he cannot actually live that perfect life mm-hmm. um he cannot be the second adam adam meaning literally man Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's not God, he would not have the power or the ability to actually accomplish redemption. Yeah. That's why I think it, it's really important that we see. So like, if you go through the different heresies, you know, the mixing of the two, well, you're now losing what it really means to be truly God and truly man by mixing the two. If he has a divine soul and a human body, then he doesn't have a human soul. Like his innermost being is not actually human. He isn't truly human in that sense. Mm-hmm. So whatever way you go, if you don't keep in mind this truly God, truly man, without division, but without separation as well, without mixture, but without division, I should say, you will lose some aspects and the cross will become impossible, essentially. Yeah. And again, this is where Christology and having good Christology is vitally important Mm -hmm. because good Christology, especially as we think about the incarnation and the conception of Mary leads us to the cross. Good Christology helps us to understand the cross of Jesus Christ and and why he died, how he died, and who, more, more most importantly here on this question, who died, uh, why mm-hmm. it could be accomplished the way it was, and, and then rise from the dead, right? Uh, Christology right. vitally is vitally important to help us understand crucifixion and resurrection. And then, and then, and then, man, second, second coming, second advent, as we celebrate the first advent, um, and as we talk about the first advent in this podcast, man, there's a second advent coming, and uh, mm-hmm. we can rejoice in that. Yeah, and then we can have debates on whether or not the second advent or the first advent is the most important. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, I mean, <laughs> since I already made the claim that it's the great, the first advent is the greatest, greatest event in history. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I made a statement. Um, I can't remember what Sunday it was in talking about how we talk about the second advent of Jesus Christ in similar terms as the Jews from the first century talked about the first advent of the Messiah. <laughs> right. We, we, I mean, there's a lot of similar ideas going on here. Oh. And uh, political yeah. reign, Jesus coming. Come on now. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I'm it. I'm okay with the theocracy as long yeah. as Christ is the one that's head. That's right. That's right. That's a conversation for another day, I think. So, <laughs> all right, man. Uh, any fires we got to put out before the before we uh, land this plane? I mean, not that I can think of. If you said anything controversial, please leave a comment. If you yep. have a disagreement, we'd love to engage you or uh, send it. I assume, I assume there's a, a way to email as well. Yeah. If you go to cornfieldtheology.com, you go to the bottom of the, of the homepage and there's, um, you know, basically you can, you can be added to the email list. And so you get blogs when they're, when they're released or you're able to make comments and be like, Hey, I want to know why you're an idiot. And I can tell you, you know, I was dropped when I was young. I ate paint chips. I don't know. Pick your poison. Um, I've had plenty of them. So yeah. I love playing with lead paint. Yeah, yeah. Or or when these things drop on social media, you can ask questions on our social media pages. Uh, usually those social media pages are Redemption Hill, uh, located here in Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, Redemption Hill DSM. And uh, we can uh, be happy to you know, answer any questions on Facebook, Twitter, or technically on Instagram, but I'm not, I'm not an IG guy. I'm older, so... You can yeah. catch them on MySpace. <laughs> yeah, you can catch me on MySpace. Uh, or his AOL account. Where's my uh, Nokia phone so I can play Snake here? He'll he'll text you on his BlackBerry. <laughs> there was a time I thought BlackBerry was the best phone in the world because it had it the was little, awesome. The little buttons, yeah, the yeah. The, oh my goodness, it was great. My dad it, had a BlackBerry. It was a lot of. I mean, it was a mental a mental shift for me to be like, there there's no there's, there's no buttons no buttons on my iPhone. <laughs> how, does, how does that work? And yeah, there's no buttons on my superior Samsung. That's the hot take. Oh, stop it. <laughs> that's the one that's going to start fires. Well, I tell you what, whether you're a Samsung person or, or a Google person or an uh, Apple person, you're owned. <laughs> We're all owned. <laughs> they hear everything. I, I, I could be thinking... I could be thinking something. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my phone like, oh, yeah. I was just thinking, wait a second. How did that get on my phone? Oh, yeah. They put a They're chip in my so brain when I was give you a better sleeping. ad experience. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I don't want a better ad. I, I live in the country, so I don't get a better ad. I live in the country, so I don't get internet. Sheesh. <laughs> uh, all, right. all right. Anything else for us today, Logan? Yeah. Nope, I think it's time we land this plane. All right, give give the obligatory where people can find us and tell people what to do because I'm not I'm bad at that point. All right, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, I yes. believe Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. We are on Amazon. Last time I heard, uh, yeah. for all two of you that listen on Amazon Stitcher. Podcast, Stitcher, and you can give us a like, uh, rate us five stars if you enjoyed it. If you did not enjoy us, uh, it's not really worth your time to really vote just or just leave a five star because you're nice oh if you don't like us you, <laughs> you don't, don't need to share even if you didn't like us share our video dare you double 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 dog dare you double dog yep dare you. you can share us and be like look at these dumb guys what's the idea but <laughs> was he born in a stable Bad publicity still publicity oh it was a horse yeah maybe i was born in a stable <laughs> Yeah, like, comment, subscribe if uh, that's an option or whatever. But all right, cool, man. Well, thanks for joining me, man. We we are getting the band back together, so um, we are here to stay. You know, maybe not the same frequency as we used to, but you can look for us maybe once, twice a month. Uh, even if it's uh, you know virtual like this, we want to continue to get content out to you. We want to be a blessing to our local church. We love Redemption Church. So if you're in the Des Moines metro. Uh, come check us out. We meet at uh, Radiant Elementary. It's uh, located in a walkie school. That's a, a Radiant Elementary is a walkie school located in Urbandale. And Clive is across the street. Grimes is two minutes away. Don't know why it's like that. 
some guy with a crayon and a napkin who had too many to drink decided to make boundaries with these cities in Des Moines. But uh, here we are. Anyways, you're welcome to come in, and we would love to love to have you check us out and worship with us on a Sunday. We meet at 10 a.m. Radiant Elementary. And that's it for now. Thanks for everyone for listening to Cornfield Theology. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.